Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everyone. Today's story is about Elizabeth Bathory, who may or may not be an actual vampire. So Guinness World Records, their website, has her listed as the most prolific female murderer and most prolific murderer in the Western world. And they claim that she practiced vampirism on girls and young women. She allegedly killed more than 600 virgins in order to drink their blood and bathe in it. And that was to preserve her youth. That's a lot of virgins. Oh my gosh, right? But is that actually true? There's a lot of different theories. Some believe she was a vampire. Some believe she was actually innocent. Others believe that there's a big government conspiracy. So we'll tell you her story. And then at the end, we'll give our thoughts on what we think about her. An interesting note about the research on Elizabeth Bathory is that what we know comes from a mixture of translated letters, the original trial documents, which were also translated, and the trial documents include testimony from witnesses who were tortured. So there's some historical context that we'll give as well, which is a little easier to rely on, I feel like. But we've done our best to piece several sources together to try to get a clear picture of what her story was. And when there's conflicting information, we'll share that as well. So we call her Elizabeth Bathory, but her name was Elizabeth Bathory. And she was born on August 7 in 1560 in Nierbeter, Hungary. She was from an aristocratic family, the Bathories. And she had a lot of very prestigious relatives, including the King of Poland, Stephen Bathory, the Prince of Transylvania, Sigmund Bathory, and the Prime Minister of Hungary, Georgi Torzo, who we're going to talk about a whole bunch. When you hear her ties to Transylvania, do you think that's partly why people believe she was a vampire? 10 out of 10. It probably also has something to do with the fact that she's a distant relative of Vlad the Impaler. Could be. Yeah. I couldn't find an exact lineage of where and how she was a descendant, but I saw a few different sources that talked about them being related. Distant, but related. We know that she was a relatively well-educated woman. And it seems surprising that a woman who grew up in the 1500s would know four languages. (laughs) So Elizabeth was raised by her servants and nannies, but that wasn't uncommon for the time. It was actually pretty standard that women who were running the house, which is typically a noble woman, that's what they did was they ran a house. They needed to get back to doing that. So pretty soon after birth, their kids would have wet nurses who would nurse the kid for the first year of their life. They would even take medications. And then that's how kids would get medicine was they would drink it through the breast milk of the wet nurse. And because of this, wet nurses would get actually like really close with the families and they their kids would play together. So they'll be a whole part of it. So the fact that she was raised by servants and nannies isn't a particularly interesting. As we go through this, a lot of people say that she was cold or that she had a strange upbringing and that's why she was so prone to cruelty. And I see conflicting information on that. I've seen articles where they talk about the fact that she had the typical childhood of a of a noble child in the 1500s in that children growing up them boys and girls were both raised the same until they were about 10 and then after that is when they started getting their more gendered instruction so boys would learn about military practice and would be prepared for higher education girls would be taking more strict religious training because they were expected to teach their children about spirituality. They learned about the important things in court life. And then they also learned how to run and maintain a household, which feels a lot like learning to run to maintain a business just because they did everything from accounting to inventory to sales. (laughs) It seemed like it was a lot. And so she was raised much like any child of other nobility from everything that's specifically said in terms of like exact experiences. But some people argue that her other relatives that were a little different than perhaps the the normal noble person of that time period. They had their quirks. Yeah, they had their quirks. Like, for example, her uncle was thought to be a professional alchemist, a practitioner of black magic and into Satan worship. Whose uncle isn't that? I mean, come on. Are you even an uncle if you're not into Satan worship? Her aunt was known as a lesbian and was. And a lot of people said she was a witch. 
when I read that, I read smart woman for her time. You know what I mean? I feel like that's like, right? Just we, you can replace witch with like overly educated and independent throughout history. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit later how sexuality plays a part in this because I think that's one of the ways that people sensationalize her crimes is they're like, well, it must have been sexual in nature too because she only did this to women. And it was like, mm-hmm. okay, but also. I think the servants who she was correcting or disciplining, aka torturing, right, uh, happened to be women because they were in roles like seamstresses and things like that. Yeah. And a lot of people do compare her to a sexual sadist. Absolutely. So her brother is also known as a, quote, violent sexual predator who preyed on any female regardless of age. There's also stories that there was pretty significant abuse of servants in front of her. And she saw a man being tortured by being sewn inside of a horse because he was trying to steal something. He was then left to die and while the horse was rotting. Yeah, it was a long process between like him dying and the horse dying and rotting. However, there's no supporting documents to prove it's true, but it is a story that you see over and over again. Some stories even say that she laughed at the sight of this being that young and all i keep thinking of is like how dare them hurt this horse yeah what did that horse do the horse didn't steal anything he didn't do anything wrong it also kind of reminds me of star wars when luke's cold so he goes inside of a tauntaun i can't stay awake to watch star wars the reference was lost some people will get that (laughs) self-torture so while growing up it is said that she suffered from severe health problems as well historians speculate that it might have been because her parents were first cousins which wasn't very abnormal at the time. Cool, cool. Right. She was epileptic and was prone to violent seizures. Also, she had a lot of rage and she was thought of as a difficult child. Her family at one point thought she might have been possessed because of her erratic behavior. I would imagine, though, if you were seeing a person have a seizure and you had no frame of reference for it, mm-hmm. I think that that's how you would kind of explain it away. I mean, people used to kind of like drill holes into people's heads to let the demons out. So, yeah. <laughs> it's also thought that when we hear stories about her childhood, that rather than those being specific to her family, that it's kind of the worst of the worst of nobility and that. When we talk about like the torture with the horse and her being thought to be possessed, that perhaps that's kind of how nobility treated their children and servants. So around age 11, she was engaged to Ference Nadazdi, and he was about 15 or 16 at the time. And this wasn't uncommon as well to just be set up with another noble person. Mm-hmm. From what I read, too, their arranged marriage happened when they were like toddlers, I read a different source that said that her parents basically contracted with his parents so that it's kind of like the key was her first option, like a first right of refusal. Do you know what an option contract is? It's basically like you have an option to do it before anybody else. And so he basically could be like, yes or no, before anybody else could say yes or no to her. And then he said yes. And that they were all very excited. And I was like, how romantic. Right. Yeah. And I keep seeing a lot of accounts that they were both very attractive as well. So, yeah, it was like a power couple. I've seen a couple say that (laughs) they would have been like the power couple of the times. Yeah. Well, he was a war hero, wasn't he? Well, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So they had brains and they were attractive and they were wealthy. Whole package. So as custom, she moved into her future husband's parents' palace and received education in running the estates and was under the control of her mother-in-law, some say. Yeah, so I saw conflicting stories that showed that Ursula, Ferenc's mother, died before uh, Elizabeth even got to Savar, which was the family seat of power for the Nadasdis. So I thought that was an interesting assumption. However, as you mentioned, it was custom during that time that what the betrothed child would do before being married was they would apprentice under their mother-in-law to learn how to run the estate. Running an estate was very hard work from what it seemed, and it included paying bills, keeping lines of credits with merchants, maintaining the rations, food, cloth, and medical supplies for everyone who lived in the household. So not just her and her children, but also the servants and any wet nurses or anybody else who was employed there, as well as organizing labor of serfs for planting and harvesting so that they planted enough and could properly harvest before things went bad. 
paying for and ordering repairs to basically anything that needed repairs or fixing or upgrades throughout the house. So it could be the house itself. It could be the defensive walls on the outside of the castle. Additionally, she balanced accounts of the sales of all of the products that they made. So livestock, wine, produce. So she would like keep track of all of that. That's a lot. So definitely something you would need an apprenticeship in if you were, you know, 11. (laughs) Right. And it's coming up, but she did well at all of that, too. So if her mother-in-law was there, she learned from her. If she wasn't, then there must have been someone in that place to help her learn that. Because from every account that I was able to find, she did end up in that kingdom for a while before they were married. So I'm not sure what happened, but she was there, at least. That's what we do know. As it's like a very interesting, sweet kind of note in this. Often the relationships between noble people, the marriages were for like political gain and for like forging good families. And women were taught to read in noble families because they were going to have to take care of these households. But when Thomas Nadasdi and Ursula were married, she couldn't read. So he taught her how to read and they would like he would help her like figure out how to like do everything she needed to do. And he would call himself her old vulture. Oh, she's an adorable pet name. He's her old vulture. And I love it. (laughs) So there are other rumors that circulated from like her teenage years to her early marriage years. One being that she had an affair with a peasant boy in her early teens. And it must have been around 13 or 14. Some records say the boy's name was Ladislav Bendy. And it also might have been rape. While researching, I did come across a site that said that there is a document that exists and it was signed in front of church officials where Elizabeth Bathory claims that she was abducted and drugged. But it wasn't signed till 1609, which was about 37 years later. I couldn't find anyone else that had the document or like pictures or anyone that said that they've actually reviewed the document. So that is a big maybe. That is interesting, though. Ference then supposedly, had the boy castrated and thrown to a pack of wild dogs. The child, who was a girl, was given away secretly. Stories believe her name was Anastasia and that she was brought up in Transylvania. That reminds me of the Romanovs. Yeah, she is Anastasia. Yeah. (laughs) Amanda's eyes lit up. (laughs) I'm so excited. I love it. (laughs) Also, it's interesting, too, because the rumor about the illegitimate child didn't show up until after Bathory's death. So some say that it's, quote, a peasant's rumor. So interesting. Right, right. So on May 8th, 1574, when she was 14 years old, she married Ference. Their wedding had around 4,500 in attendance. As they do. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. That's too many people. I have no reason to think this other than just the pure function of a wedding. They would have had to have had like a receiving line because could you imagine going to every table? Thank you guys so much for coming. We are so happy you're here. And like chatting, like that would be days. I don't think that custom existed then. They were just like. Simpler times. I'm sure not all of them were noble people either. It was probably people from like the surrounding little villages, I would ask. I I saw that it was 4,500 in attendance, not including peasants because they like weren't counting them. They were just like. whatever still too many too many the party went on for three days so they could go to each table (laughs) that's that's it you (laughs) cracked the case there ference gifted his new wife a castle of her own so what's interesting as part of that time period i had never heard of this but i think that it's a cool practice to have happened during that time period was so per the tripartium which was the rule of law in hungary at that time women who were married in payment for performing all of their marriage duties, like having kids, running the household, they would get goods and property rights that they could keep after their husband died. And this was because women were expected to be widows. And a lot of women, that was like their most exciting part of their life because they were free and independent for the first time, where they were really like able to kind of do more what they wanted-ish. Interesting. And this was called a dower. Sounds like a dowry, but it's a dower because it's for the widow herself. I'm not sure if this was a document that was prepared when they got married so that if he died the next day, she got it or whether they prepared it later like they would with a will. But Ferenc gave Elizabeth the Jacquise Castle, 17 villages surrounding the castle. And that's why many years from now, she ends up moving to Jacquise Castle. And I'm just really upset that I didn't get a castle when I got married. It's unfair. 
She was given one of the darkest, most bleakly gothic castles, and I'm super jealous. He knew her vibe. The castle was situated in the Little Carpathians in modern-day Slovakia. It was surrounded by a village and farmland. So soon after their marriage, Ferenc was fighting the Ottomans. He was a great warrior, and he even had the nickname the Black Knight from Hungary. He was very brutal, and his brutality in the face of his enemies terrified his enemies and even shocked his allies. So they didn't spend a lot of time together in early marriage because he was off fighting. But when they did, they did bond over their love of violence and torturing young servant girls who were under their charge. Ferenc taught her innovative methods of torture, which is so weird. Yeah. He taught her things like how you could roll up pieces of oiled paper and place it in between the toes of the servant girls and then set it on fire. It's also claimed that he gave her a clawed glove so that she could scratch the faces of disobedient servant girls. He would also send Bathory instructions on ways to punish the servants, as well as black magic spells. Hmm. What a weird relationship. Or a great one, if that's what you're into. Also, as a note, Elizabeth kept the name Bathory because her family was of a higher status than the Dasties. So she kept her last name, which I thought was interesting at that time for that time. Mm-hmm. I've read a couple different things on that, too. One that, yeah, she outranked him, but then also that the name was an older name. Yes. So she chose to keep that like it was more established. Yes. Interestingly, as well, I looked into how were servants treated in this time period. I don't think that all noble people in this time period were doing the type of torment that they were inflicting against their servants. However, it was pretty common for people to punish and discipline physically their servants if they did a bad job. That was pretty commonplace. Additionally, it was common that if a child would like act out of turn when they were a kid, the parents would have the servants beat the children. So it's kind of an interesting way that violence is kind of socially normal. However, it generally was that you would inflict violence against the same gender. And if it was different classes, it would be done in private. It's like a weird social norm that like two noblemen could get into a fist fight. But the idea of like a noble person like slapping a quote unquote peasant or servant out in public was seen as uncouth. All right. Weird. What a weird time. Yeah. Yeah. So for their first 10 years of marriage, they did not conceive any children, which was very odd at the time. It is possible that they may have had miscarriages or infant deaths that may have not been recorded. So overall, she did end up having five children with him. Only three would actually make it to adulthood. They were Catalin, Anna, and Paul. And the youngest was born in 1598. It's also thought that one of the reasons that maybe she got into the occult was to try some kind of folk remedies for her infertility in those first 10 years. Additionally, one source that I read said that during this time period, infertility was a cause for divorce. So it's unlikely that They didn't have any miscarriages or anything like that, because if she had been barren for 10 years, basically, they probably would have not stayed together because he would have needed to produce an heir because he was the sole heir of his line. What a line. What a line. In 1601, Ferenc became unwell. And there is no like documents that say what his condition actually was. But some documents say that he had paralysis of the legs. And then he ultimately died in 1604. So they were married for 29 years. Elizabeth was 44 at the time of his death. And after the loss of her husband, she became more sadistic. At the time, after his death, she was the richest, most powerful woman in the land. But that began to decline pretty soon after. (laughs) Part of that was when he was off at war, he would send back, quote, wartime treasure. When he got sick, then he died. That stopped. But also... So he dies in 1604. Then her brother, Stephen, dies in 1605. And when Stephen died, he died with no children. So a distant cousin inherited the entire Bathory fortune. So she was cut off from the finances from her birth family. Oh, because she took over the husband. And also because she was a woman. Also, some suggest that the reason why she became more sadistic after her husband died was because she moved from Savar to Jakitse Castle. And so she was suddenly like in isolation because it was common that during that time that you were expected to like isolate for a long period after your husband's death. So 
she did, though, surround herself with some people that were interested in the occult, one being her childhood nanny. Her name was Yolona Yo, and she was a practitioner of witchcraft. And I have read accounts, too, that she was also like the nanny for her children as well. Yes. Another one was Anna Dervola, and she was a forest witch. She actually joined the household in 1601. And some say Elizabeth's personality changed at that time, and that made her more sadistic when Anna joined the party. And some also say that her husband is the one that taught her to torture, while Anna was the one that taught her to kill. And that would also follow with the norms of violence, because you were allowed to beat and discipline your servants, but you weren't supposed to kill them. Right, right. And there's a there's a theory that we'll talk about at the end, too, about the torture versus killing and what she might have been doing. Yes. Another person that hung around was Dorotia Sendash. And she was a witch and a Satanist. And she was also known as Dorka. I just, I can't find anyone named Dorka scary. I mean, that's fair. The last person in their circle was Johannes Oivery. He was a black magic practitioner and a sorcerer. He was also known as Fitzko. He was the youngest of the group, and many reports say that he was like a disfigured teen. Hmm. Now we're going to get into the gory details. So generally, the accounts we have of torture are from the witness testimony from the trial. And so another, again, another important thing to note is that these were translated from a different language. So I also wonder sometimes when I read this, if there's a little bit, a little bit like lost in translation, but also it's going to be gruesome either way. So let's do it. One account that I read in almost everything I looked at was that there was a woman who she had covered her naked body in honey so that bees and flies and ants would attack her. That's so horrible. I think I believe they tied her to a tree as well. So like she was exposed for a long time and that that was an example of a type of torture that wouldn't kill her, but would be awful. Right. Another account that I read about was she poured water over some of the naked women outside in the snow so that they would actually literally freeze to death and be frozen to the ground. Wow. I saw one kind of description where they talked about that particular torture method and they talked about that that may have been something that she utilized while she traveled because it wasn't as easy because she didn't have her tools, her accoutrement. Yeah. And that she may not have been trying to kill them. She may have just been trying to punish them and that this was a side effect of that because they would do things like complain that they were tired or hungry and that this would be how she handled that. What makes it so horrible, though, is like the women that worked for her were young, right? Like they were like some were like 12 or 13. Yeah, they were very, very young. She would also use needles and she would torture girls by piercing them in the face and breasts. And she would also shove them under the girl's fingernails. That just that makes shivers go Ugh, up my like, I arms know. every time I read that one. That's so horrible. I know. She would also, this is part of like where the vampire theory came from, is that she would bite the girls. So she would actually bite flesh off of them in various parts of them. She would also rip flesh from their breasts with silver pincers that were specially made for her. Yeah. There's also an account where someone said they saw the countess pull a servant's mouth apart with such force that it ripped her mouth on both sides, kind of like the Joker. Yeah, that she actually just did it with her fingers, yeah. though. Like, she put her hands in the woman's mouth and ripped it apart. I've seen that, and then I've also seen that her accomplices did that, and she watched them. So we're not sure which one actually did it, but it happened. It's all pretty bad. Yeah. Bathory commissioned a special cage that was filled with spikes. Bathory and her friends would then poke the girl with hot irons, and then when she would jump away, she would go into the spikes which then would cause her blood to go on to the other women. And then they'd all have orgies together. As you do. I saw some accounts that this cage looked kind of similar to a medieval Iron Maiden, but that Mm -hmm. her particular version had blonde hair, which is a weird vibe because it was kind of like with the beauty standards at that time. Fair skin, fair hair. I don't know. It was a very weird and specific description of this cage. What do you mean blonde hair? Explain. Well, that like the outside of the Iron Maiden like had painted hair on it. Weird. Unnecessary. That just made it, th- it made it more girly, made it more, more feminine. I don't know why, but what I'm picturing is, you know, Wayne's World? 
mm-hmm. you know, Garth, like that wig yeah. on top of an Iron Maiden. Anywho, so as we've noted earlier at the top, people thought she was a vampire. Part of that is because people say that she would bathe in blood from virgins to preserve her beauty. But there's not any proof of this. It was never mentioned in any of the testimonies, but there's kind of like a little origin story with it where they say that she was upset with a servant. So she slapped her across the face and she hit her so hard that she drew blood and that where the blood was on Elizabeth's hand, it appeared younger. Okay. And that's where it began. So in modern times, we develop moisturizers. Yes. And then also contour. Yeah. And if someone had just invented it earlier, this all could have been remedy. Yeah. I also, I think it's really an interesting part of the legend that they're like, she wanted to be more beautiful and young. And it seems kind of like a sexist trope. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was an interesting claim that they automatically just kind of assumed that it was for her youth because... Mm-hmm. So the first time anyone mentions Elizabeth bathing in blood is a decade after she died. It's in a pastor when he's writing a book about monsters. And some say that he writes about her specifically and he writes about her bathing in blood because he was Catholic and she was Protestant and he was trying to demonize her. And so that was one way of doing it by being like, she bathed in blood. But There's no accounts of that before that. And it's not anywhere in the trial documents. And if she was drinking blood, for sure it would have been there. Yeah. I mean, she was biting them and ultimately probably did have blood in her mouth. But there's no accounts of her like draining all the blood from them so that she can have like a nice bath time. Have you ever watched the show uh, Salem? It's on Hulu. It is a very gruesome show about like witches. And it's set in Puritan times, like during the witch trials, but there actually are witches. And there's one witch who does bathe in blood and she'll like tap people like basically like a tree with sap and she'll like have them above them just pouring blood on her. And so that's the image that I have of Elizabeth bathing in blood. But there's nothing in history aside from like this one book. And then that spurred everything else. Every rumor, all of these weird things. And this is a famous story. Yeah. Like there are movies and documentaries and all of this. And a lot of them talk about her either being a vampire, doing all this stuff with blood, and it may not even be true. Yeah. So another method of torture, she murdered a shoemaker's daughter and she stripped her naked, took a knife and beginning with her fingers, began stabbing her and flogging her and then held a burned candle until her hands were singed and then ultimately killed yeah she also the one amanda just said as well as the last two that i'm going to say really quick are all from witness testimony from one person who says that he saw all this happen he said that she would routinely have her seamstresses if they made a mistake they would strip down naked and then she would beat them specifically in their hands and she would break their fingers and their fingernails and they would get infected and then she would degrade them and call them things like you whore and that kind of thing when they couldn't perform their job because she broke their fingers and she would also heat irons in her fire and then insert them into girls' vaginas. Just leave a long pause there because... Yeah, long pause. Yeah, that's all absolutely horrific. And just to put it in perspective, too, they were seamstresses. When they'd get in trouble, it would be because of a stitch. Yeah. Or something as silly as that. Yeah, it wasn't like somebody died. It was because her dress wasn't pretty. And interestingly, too, she was thought to be really, really vain and to do things like change her clothes multiple times a day. And she would spend hours getting ready and would just like stare at herself in the mirror. But I also saw that people in that time period didn't really like to bathe. So they changed their clothes more often. That's true. As we talked about, she started with like peasant girls and servants and seamstresses and things like that, right? Then she moved on to noble girls. And there's a lot of different theories as to why she moved on to noble girls. Some say because they ran out of peasant girls. Either she killed them all or the remaining few ran away or hid in fear of being taken to the castle. Others say it's because she was convinced that if she took the lives of noble girls, her financial fortunes would turn around. Because remember, she was very well off when her husband was alive. Once he died, she slowly lost a lot of that wealth. 
So ultimately what she did is she opened up a finishing school for young noble women. The parents of the girls would then pay the attendance fees. And then the girls, of course, would start to disappear. Those people then started asking questions and she would make up random excuses. At one point, she said one girl went crazy and killed the others before then killing herself. Parents, of course, who knew their daughters, didn't believe it, and they started to appeal to the king, Matthias II, who then decided to do an investigation. I saw in one source that within three weeks of her opening her finishing school, all the girls were dead. Mm -hmm. It's a really quick turnaround. Right. And and there are some rumors saying that some sort of plague or something like that is the thing that killed all of those girls. But we don't know. For yeah. Well, and during this time period, there was the bubonic plague to a lesser degree. There was also a disease called the Hungarian disease. Very specific. It was thought to be either typhus or a strand of malaria. So there were some vicious diseases going around. So it's not that none of these girls could have died from that, but just the sheer number. And when you mix that with torture that people say they saw. Right. In addition to the parents complaining, the priest for the castle's chapel also said that he found nine bodies in the catacombs between the castle and his chapel. And additionally, there was a Lutheran minister who went to the Hungarian authorities. But I'm not sure if this is the same account because I, I saw it in two different places and they kind of described it a little bit differently. But I would think it would be interesting if two different clergymen went and complained. I also saw an instance where a member of the clergy specifically complained about Annie Darvula, saying that she was particularly vicious with her discipline of servants. I also saw that some of them were brought in a little too frequently because of deaths. So they were like, okay, we're brought in when someone dies, but we're brought to this castle a lot. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the king then calls the prime minister, which is Georgi Terzo. And in addition to being prime minister, he was also one of Ferenc's closest friends. And on Ferenc's deathbed, he asked Terzo to promise that he would look after Elizabeth, his children, and his estates. He wasn't doing a great job of that. He was not. But also, she was a pretty independent person. So I think that she was like doing as much as she could and that she probably was relatively afloat. But so Torzo interviewed many, many witnesses and dozens of people testified about seeing blood, hearing screams and noticing the cemetery in the castle courtyard. Well, yeah, that that didn't go there. Yeah, didn't go there. But none of them were actual eyewitnesses. So Torzo kind of felt conflicted about the pledge he made to his friend and he decided to write to Elizabeth's relatives. He wrote to three men who were related to Elizabeth. And I thought this was a little bit interesting because it was the guardian of her youngest son, who I want to think he was around 10 at the time, who's not related to her at all. And then her son-in-laws, so the husbands of her two daughters. I thought that that was really weird. Instead of just doing his investigation, he wrote to them, which we'll talk about one of the theories later as to why he might have done that. But it just, it seems so strange yeah. to me. Some people say that she knew as well. So on Christmas Eve in 1610, Torzo thought that he had enough evidence to arrest Bathory, but he just wanted to make sure. So he went to dine with Bathory and the king at her castle, which seems like a great idea if you think someone's a vicious murderer. Of course. He told them where he was going. Yeah, he's like, if I don't come home, here's where I'm going. I doubt his blood would have helped anything for her. So <laughs> they say that she seemed nervous and that some thinks that she actually tried to poison them because both men felt unwell after having both post-dinner dessert cakes. So if she did try to poison them, she... It was the soul cakes. It was probably soul cakes. The, the raisins. She stole the souls in the soul cakes. It was the raisin. Yeah. So a week later on New Year's Eve, Terzo returns with armed guards and they hit outside the castle gates. And then Elizabeth and one of her associates then come out and allegedly cast a protective spell designed to protect Bathory and bring about the death of Torzo. The men listen to her spell, then move in once the two women go back inside. They found the mutilated body of a girl near the doorway, and they found two more bodies just inside. When they go into the great room, they find one girl dead, and they find another girl who's dying, but they're convinced that she's not going to make it back to town, so they just leave her and keep on going. So they heard screaming, which led them to a torture chamber. So there's a bunch of different accounts, but one account is that they found Elizabeth's murder team at work and it's unclear whether Elizabeth was caught in the act. However, in the accounts that I've seen as well, so they went from the great hall or great room down to the dungeons, found women in all stages of like living in decomposition. Some were 
chained to the walls and had clearly died weeks ago and had puncture wounds. Some were barely alive. Some were living. They like set the living woman free. And then they went upstairs into Elizabeth's chamber where they go in and there's basically like a blood orgy happening and they're all drunk. And it's so intense that they don't even want to document what they saw. So they don't even put it in the trial because it's just too much. And I'm like, you put everything else in. That's where you walk. (laughs) And that's another thing that might have been made up then. Because Terzo sent his wife a letter about what he saw when they raided the castle. And I watched two different documentaries that discussed it. And even one of them actually had the letter. Like he had to put on gloves and go into this like special place to read it. And he was uh, translating it as he read it. I thought that Mm -hmm. was really interesting. And he talks about how the first person or they saw the first woman dead. And then there was another woman. And it was so interesting to actually see that that letter is still a thing. Yeah. During the trial, 306 people testified against Elizabeth. One account that I saw said that a lot of the people who testified against her were blood relatives of Torzo. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. That's what I saw, too. Yeah, that he had something. Yeah. Gained. And members of her, I don't know, friend circle turned against her. And they also incriminated themselves in the process. So the murder count estimates between 80 and 650. That's a really big difference between, you know, 80 and 650. That's many difference. So there was one person during the trial that alleged that Elizabeth kept a record of all of the women that she killed and that there was 650 people on the list. I think that's where that comes from. And I think the 80 number comes from the number of bodies that they found on the premises. So accomplices were put on trial in January of 1611 and witnesses and surviving victims took the stand. Also, cadavers were brought in to be examined and they were taken from the castle. So Yolana Yo, Dorka, and Fitzgo received the death sentence. Yolona and Dorka were tortured, so their fingers were torn out with iron tongs before they were put to death by being tossed into a bonfire. Fitzgo was also killed. However, he was spared from the torture because of his youth. Remember, he was a teenager, so they cared a little bit about him. He was beheaded and then burnt. So another one of the accomplices was Catalim, and she was one of the only accomplices that didn't receive the death penalty. She was thought to be the most soft-hearted and she had been seen sneaking food to the victims she was sentenced to life imprisonment also she too was tortured when she wouldn't torture the servants as heinously as the others right elizabeth was not put on trial instead she was put into her castle under solitary confinement what they did is they like walled up the windows Mm -hmm. And then in 1614, on August 21st, she complained to one of the guards about her hands being cold. She was told to lie down and get some sleep. She never woke up, so she died then. Her body was buried in the church cemetery near her castle. There was this big uproar. People were very upset that she was buried there. They didn't even want her body there. So supposedly her body was then exhumed and taken to the Bathory family crypt. However, there are reports that in 1995, when they opened the crypt, her corpse was not there. Dun, dun, dun. Or maybe she was a vampire. Or maybe she was a vampire and she just pretended to die and got right back up and went on her way. So one of the biggest questions about her whole story is why wasn't she put on trial? There are so many theories as to why. Some of those theories include that letters between the family members and Terzo show that they made that family agreement to avoid the trial. What's interesting during this time period is that in order for Torzo to bring charges against Bathory, he would have needed an act from Parliament. And in doing so, he would kind of start that precedent where Parliament was pressing charges against noble people. Because for the most part, noble people weren't charged with crimes very often. No, they were able to get away with whatever they wanted. Yeah, because they were noble. And somehow that, whatever for whatever reason, that meant something. It's not at all like the world today. It hurts. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was an interesting note. She also wanted to be put on trial. And he told her no. And King Mateus also wanted to put her on trial. But was was eventually like kind of talked out of pushing for it because Storza was like, it's going to look bad. It's going to be a whole thing. It's, you're going to drag the nobility into court. We don't want to start this precedent. And there had been rebellions by peasants in the not distant past. And so they were trying to kind of keep their district capital kind of delineation so they could keep it. You like my Hunger Games reference there. 
<laughs> so yeah, her her family standing definitely could have had like a part in it. And also they, they say, well, Terzo arranged it and he was just keeping his word to the family because it was sparing embarrassment. Because it would be a big embarrassment mm-hmm. on their family's name if one of them was a crazy psycho killer, right? Some also believe that she was set up by men because she was a woman in power. And that also could be part of some of those rumors that started too, is the vanity thing and bathing in blood. A lot of people believe it was by men to just take her down and then ultimately kill her. Another theory is that it was rigged by her family and Terzo because they all had something to gain from her losing this power, right? Her family ultimately got her land and Terzo. She was helping her cousin, the Prince of Transylvania, in giving him funds. And he was a political adversary of both King Mateus and Terzo, Terzo more specifically. So taking her out kind of like crippled him because she was financing part of what he was doing. So yeah, they all had something to gain from it. And remember, the accomplices were tortured for their testimonies. So all of them were tortured before they gave what happened. And anyone being tortured is going to say what the, the person torturing them wants them to say, ultimately, to stop the torture. And yeah, like her her land was just given to her relatives. So they, they might have just wanted bigger kingdoms. I don't know. There is a historian and... In one of the documentaries that I watched, he basically said that he believed that she was innocent and discussed that some of her torturing actually could have been healing. And I've seen this a couple times where some of the people believe that she was studying healing methods, which that seems a little far-fetched to me. But he did show the host of the documentary a long iron rod with like a circle at the end. And the host mistakes it for one of those devices where she would like use the hot iron to put it on the girl's skin. And the historian's like, actually, no, it came from a medical museum. And it was a healing instrument. Basically, what it would do is you would heat it up and you would burn wounds to close them so that they'd stop bleeding. Oh, so it would like cauterize them. Mm-hmm. So he believes that she wasn't trying to kill them. She was trying to heal them. But then again, it's like, what was she healing them from? Was it because they tortured them too much? And she was like, oh, shoot, I don't want them to die. Or is it because some of them would somehow hurt themselves and she was trying to help them or they'd get really gravely ill and she was trying to study methods to cure them? We don't know. I think that is a little bit of a stretch, though. The host did say, too, you know, when Terzo came into the castle, there was a dying woman and he said it wasn't of natural causes. And the historian's like, well, no one asked her what happened. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, you would think, though, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, what happened to you? And it's like, yeah, she looks like she's gonna die soon. Let's not bother with her. We'll find more. Exactly. And earlier you mentioned, too, like some of the people who testified were survivors. And I would think what's interesting is when I read things, I don't generally see this survivor gave her testimony of what happened. It's always somebody else talking about it. It's like, well, I heard that this thing happened. It's not, you know, a young girl being like, well, when I wouldn't sew a dress right, she would break my fingers. It's it's like somebody else talking about it, not the survivors. Exactly. Yeah. So again, her family got the land and then Terzo essentially just like removed a powerful rival. Mm -hmm. So both parties had something big to gain by getting her out of the picture. And they do say that one of like the most damning testimonies came from her oldest servant. And it's believed that the rumors just started from them. So it could have been like a rumor started because, you know, that person was upset with her or the way they were treated, which is fair. But then word got out and Terzo and her family are like, wait a minute, if we got this rumor to get bigger and bigger and bigger and turn everyone against her, we could take over her land. Yeah. Well, also, King Mateus owed her a debt. Well, actually, I think the estate of her husband, but her husband had lent the crown money many times and King Mateus didn't seem inclined on paying it back. But Elizabeth kept showing up to court being like, excuse me, you owe us money. And I don't think he was a huge fan of that. And if she was tried, her debt would have been erased. So that could be another reason why they originally started being like, perhaps we'll look at this. Right. So what do you think? Do you think she was a vampire? Do you think she was a crazy torture killer? Do you think she was innocent? I think that she was a particularly heinous employer and that she beat and maimed the women who worked for her, then realized that she liked it, then did it more because she was also a sadist. One thing that I saw, and this is my favorite fact of all of this, is that it was custom for women in that time period that when their husbands died, 
that women would wear all black for the rest of their lives. And that that was what their wardrobe was supposed to be going forward. I mean, that's what my wardrobe is now, right? I have a lot of black clothing. And it's pretty common that a lot of cultures are you wear black, at least for a certain period of time. But Elizabeth was like, nah, she went out and bought all red clothing for her and her servants. She spent over a million dollars in today's money on red. And so I wonder if somebody trans, like somebody was describing the fact that the apparel of her entire staff changed, right? They were all bathed in red. They were all wearing red. And that if that's somewhere along the lines, because the original account of her bathing in blood was this particular pastor said that he had heard it from a folklore expert around his in his time period. And so it's possible that when the story was handed down over and over and over and over, all the women were red and Elizabeth wore a lot of red. So maybe she wasn't bathed in blood. Maybe she was clothed in red. That's kind of how it got a little warped over time. Right? A weird game of telephone. Yeah, but you could see it, right? Especially because you imagine an entire castle dressed in red. Yeah, absolutely. How like jarring that would be. And that would certainly be something that people talked about. It wasn't normal. And also, it was kind of seen as it was a folk tradition to dress in red, to mourn, but also to protect against the supernatural. So it kind of goes with a little bit of the occult. Right. And who she hung out with and who was around her when she was younger, right? Yeah. That, I think that's a good account. That's probably the most accurate that would just make more things make sense. Because I don't think that she was healing. No. <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> maybe she used some of those instruments in the wrong way to torture more. But I, I really don't think she was ultimately healing. She might have just wanted to remedy some of the blows or remedy some of the things that happened to them so that they would live longer to torture more. I think she was crazy in that sense and just yeah enjoyed torture and it was legal at the time to torture servants and peasants and that sort of thing so she wasn't really doing anything illegal but ultimately yeah i think you probably hit it perfectly thanks yeah you did i cracked the case wide open you cracked the case. Let me get Hungary's National Museum on the line real quick. I saw a lot of what I looked at was from a very, very well-written article. But one of the things that I really like about this article is so many sources are like, she had a tough childhood. She was an oppressed woman. Well, what else could she do? And I'm like, there's a lot of oppressed women who don't torture people. And and it wasn't always very clear that she actually was more oppressed than other people. The article that I really liked is No Blood in the Water, The Legal and Gender Conspiracies Against Countess Elizabeth Bathory in Historical Context by Rachel Lee Bledsaw. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Bledsaw? Bledsaw. Like, blood on a saw. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's a vampire Perhaps. too. But she has, like, I think one of the most robust perspectives on Elizabeth Bathory that I saw. This is like 182 pages. And she breaks it down. She talks about what were the 1600s like? Because that was one of the things that I really tried to research. I was like, what was peasant life like in in the 1600s? Because trying to picture who she was, you have to look at where she was, right? Like, it's not okay to torture servants. But if your moral compass is skewed by the time period you're in, was she a 10 on their scale? Or was she like a 7? Which is gross, but and she kind of is a little bit, I think, unforgiving. She's like, no, she was educated. She didn't have a terrible childhood. She was just a bad person. Well, a lot of this too, remember, wasn't documented. Her childhood's not well documented. So who knows? We don't know where some of these rumors stem from, but it's fair to say what were those days like. And there are a number of different things that were documented for that time as far as like how day-to-day life was. Yeah. So today, though, today, the National Museum in Hungary, they have hidden from public view the only portrait that I believe is, you know, surviving of Elizabeth Bathory. Huh. I wonder why they hide it. I think just the people are still, they, they still see her as like an evil person. And I mean, fair. They don't want anything to do with her. However, there's something that kind of combats that. We also talk about how if it was America, they would be like putting like neon signs like it's Elizabeth Bathory's portrait. Come see it. Wouldn't they? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they'd sell the T-shirts. Yeah, they would have like a like a like a strawberry sundae with blood on it. Do you know what I mean? Like it would be a whole thing. Oh, we'll we'll get to that. That does semi exist. Oh, great. 
So the castle is in ruin. They reopened it in June of 2014 after some restoration. One tower did collapse in the 1980s, but two towers still stand, including what's believed to be one of them where Elizabeth Bathory died. The construction immaculate, like literally four centuries. Insane. Yeah. And from what I understand, I couldn't find any definite information other than like someone did kind of a walkthrough and they said it is possible to walk around in certain parts of it. But I I couldn't understand which parts were still able to be walked through. But they say that there are remnants of what looks like a bricked up window. Ooh, Yeah. So here's the one thing. There are reports that there is an Elizabeth Bathory statue in one of the town squares. So I think that they did, you know, put some stuff up. And there are some wines in the area that are sold. Some were discontinued, but they're, from what I understand, some still do exist. But they're called Bathory Blood. And they're, of course, red wine. Of course they are. People still visit the Jikise ruins to, like, look at, at, like, the property and, like, what? Because, you know, it's an interesting place. And so some people say that it's haunted. Some folks say that they've seen Elizabeth Bathory herself, but that she'll appear faceless, which don't like. I mean, I don't want to see necessarily a ghost generally, but like, I definitely don't want them to be faceless if I did. Is this Bly Manor? This is exactly Bly Manor. Jesus I'm just going to tell you, I hate it and I stand by it. And if I wanted to watch a romance, I would watch a romance. If you start with haunting, it better be a haunting first. That's all I'll say. Did you finish it yet? I did. Did you like it? I didn't absolutely hate it, but it definitely didn't measure up to the first one. The first one, fantastic. I loved it. It was great. People are like, but it's great. It's not that bad. And I'm like, here's the thing. Like, you tell me it's a haunting first. I want it to be a haunting first. Have the other stuff. Because like we've said time and time again, a ghost story and a story about missing someone you love, it's a pretty close story generally. It's like you're falling somewhere in the middle. But don't tell me it's a ghost story if it's a love story. Anywho, they also hear the tormented screams of young girls there. Great. And they'll see shadowy figures and full body apparitions, which that would be haunting. Uh, Others have said that they've heard disembodied voices in and around the castle. Weird. Yeah. I'll add that to our list of places to go. Absolutely. It does look gorgeous, though, like the pictures of what's left and like the the area surrounding it. Have you seen the statue? Mm -mm. Okay, we're going to do like a real time reaction to Amanda seeing the statue. I'm going to share my screen with you. Isn't she lovely? (laughs) What's behind it? A tree or a lion? I think it's a crying girl. Is that what that is? I don't know. Oh, yes. And one of her victims. So I, I I lied to you. I I have seen the statue. However, it was a very big close up of just that face. Yeah, and that is a that is a statue. That is something. It is absolutely a statue. I think the victim steals the show. It, it definitely steals the show. And why is it like weirdly attached to her like that? What is that? I I don't know. Is it coming out from her dress? I think the point is that like it's supposed to be like a part of her artistically artistically okay definitely interesting but how can we petition to get one of these built in our hometowns i mean i don't want one i'm just gonna be pretty clear i do i want i want the action figure of this oh is does does somebody make action figures of famous murderers i guarantee i know they make like trading cards you can literally buy like their art like from prison and stuff, I'm certain. And there's been movies. Oh, yeah, there's tons of action figures of her. Oh, my God. Are you looking at the ones in the tub? I am. I am. Yep, that's what. What a vibe. Oh, God. There's like, <laughs> was not expecting that. She's like got a goblet and she's pouring blood on herself. Interestingly, she's fair haired when she's very well known to have black hair or dark brown hair. I like her ankle bracelet. Yeah, her anklet. I do love an anklet. They're only, um, let's see, $169.99. What? I mean, it is very detailed, but still. I knew it existed. Can you still see my screen? Yeah. Look at the floor of it. There's heads in the blood, too, down here. Not just in the candles. Pretty. Oh, it's pretty, she says. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I will note is I know this was a rumor and it was never actually confirmed, but people today are still using blood for beauty routines. Delicious. Why? I don't I don't get it. I don't want it. 
Well, let me tell you why. (laughs) I thought this was just kind of funny. But Joshua Zeichner, MD, he said, who knew vampirism would be an innovator in the skincare industry? Not me. There's a couple different things. There's something called a vampire facial. And I actually have heard of it. I thought you were going to say you'd had it. And I was like, terrifying, but also go on. Mm, No. But basically (laughs) what it is, is they draw your own blood, which already I'm exempt from. I can't do it. So they draw your blood and then they run it through a centrifuge to isolate the platelets. And they're called PRPs or platelet-rich plasma. And it's derived from the serum portion of the blood, which contains the platelets. The platelets contain high levels of a growth factor, which when applied to the skin will stimulate cell turnover. So platelets essentially act as energy boosts for our skin. Cool. Cool. (laughs) It helps the skin function optimally, increasing everything from collagen to elastin. And then it also brings like antioxidant and hydrating properties. So what you do with this blood is once your blood is drawn and then it's, you know, isolating the platelets, you receive either microneedling or a microdermabrasion just before the PRPs are then put onto your face. Hmm. So your face is red for about one to two days, which is actually pretty common when you do get just a regular microneedling or microdermabrasion. And the cost is around $1,000 and should only be done up to once a month. Or never. Or never. Yes. yes. Or literally never. So as I was looking up different like blood routines that people do nowadays, I saw this article. Yeah, of course. I saw an article from Allure, which was very strange to see. And I feel like they described it perfectly. So they said, it was only a matter of time before someone took that idea and wondered how much better the effect would be if the blood was given from someone younger than your own. And then they said, enter Ambrosia, a biotech startup that is currently testing that exact thing. So let me say that again. Someone else's blood that is younger than No, absolutely not. Absolutely fucking not. So Ambrosia, I went on their website. They charge about $5,500 to $8,000 for blood transfusions from teens or young adults to help fight aging and disease. How are they getting that blood? Oh, I will. Let me tell you. So this is from their website. Our registered approved clinical trial is successfully conducted from 2016 to 2018, found statistically significant improvements in biomarkers related to Alzheimer's disease, cancer, inflammation, and stem cells after a single treatment with young blood, the donor being aged 16 to 25. Patients in this clinical trial reported improvements in athletics, memory, skin quality, sleep, and many more areas. They're already a loony, little loony if they're going to be putting blood on themselves. I'm, no, absolutely not. You you don't want the blood no. in you? No. <laughs> so an article that was published in 2017 said that there were about 100 people that were signed up to receive this infusion at that time. Now, the company, this is, this is a fact that actually, I kind of felt a little stupid, but then I thought about it and I'm like, okay, I get it, sort of. The company buys the supply from blood banks. So I also learned that some blood banks sell the blood to pharmaceutical companies. So on the surface, when you think of a blood bank, you're like, yes, I'm donating blood and I'm going to help, you know, that baby in the hospital or I'm going to help this person that needs it. Not always. That blood doesn't always just go to the hospital. It can go to pharmaceutical companies or weirdos like this company. Okay, one rude. That should not be the way that that goes. I know that you can sell your plasma from your blood. And if you're selling it, great. Like, that's your decision. Go for it. But if you're donating your blood because you think you're saving someone's life, it is, I don't know, it feels very unethical for that to then turn around and be sold someplace else. But it it did say that the company buys its supply from blood banks. That blows my mind. It could be blood banks where people like are paid to give blood. Exactly. Yeah. And you you don't really think about where it's going, but it could be going to this. And what's weird to me is, you know, it's younger people. So 16 to 25. And see, that's what makes me think it has to be a donation because children shouldn't be selling their blood. That feels... Right. So this is just speculation. I don't know exactly, but all it said was that it comes from blood banks. And so, because it's me, I reached out <laughs> to this company and I wanted to know, I wanted to know more. And immediately I received a response that pretty much told me that they wouldn't give me information until I paid them. Cool. I mean, this seems like they are big fans of money, so I'm not surprised by that at all. 
Yeah. It didn't seem schemey at all. We hope you distracted you from the world this week because it's a hard week. Let us know if you've done any of these like vampire facials or any of these weird. Have you gotten a a teenage blood transfusion for beauty? Have you bathed in blood? Have you bathed in blood? Like internally? Have you bought a million dollars worth of red dresses? (laughs) And let us know what you think. Was Elizabeth Bathory set up? Was she a monster? I want to hear others' opinions. Yes. Right. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 